Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Cookie Quarantine. I'm Seamus Campbell. I'm Ben Cohen. And we're joined today by Emily Bell, Becky Beaver, and Melissa Shapiro. Of course, Becky and Melissa are good old friends of the pod, you know, and of course, Melissa is here with her CIA agent, sleeper agent, uh, Cat Furiosa. So we're just talking. Now you can actually see her. (laughs) It's exciting. Well, no, if we screen, if we do a screenshot, then it'll be revealing the identity. And that's just I mean, come on. She's and we learned nothing from Valerie Plame. I post her on Instagram all the time. That's all my Instagram is, me posting pictures of Furiosa. I know. Now, before we get started, obviously, Becky, Melissa, you two have been on before. You're good friends of the pod who are, you know, for some reason, very willing to tolerate us. Um, because that is the proper terminology for people who talk to me and Seamus enough. Emily, this is your first time coming on. Uh, What in God's name possessed you? Hi. uh, First off, it's good to be here. Second, um, Ben included me in a group chat at some point before. I think it was the second debate. And I thought everybody was really entertaining. And I also find myself entertaining. Ergo, when I was given the opportunity to come and attempt to be entertaining with everybody, I thought I would take you up on it. So, hi. Prepare to be introduced to what could be a serious discussion, uh, we, which we will absolutely mess up because we're just not capable. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting part about the pod right now, though, because like I remember when the pod started, I was the first guest, I think, if I remember correctly. Well, one of the first, at least. Yeah, uh, I was definitely in the first like three. You were the but, first guest, yes. Yes, I was. Okay. <laughs> without anyone. Sorry, go on. But like, here's the interesting part. Like when you guys started this, I thought it was going to be maybe like 10, 15 episodes. And then, you know, we'd be back to like life. And now here we are almost a year later with no one in sight. So (laughs) this would be our 26th episode. Oh, when do you guys hit the one year mark? Uh, It will be one year in March. Holy crap. I know it's just been so much time. You guys started early then. We did start fairly early. I I didn't realize it was in March. Yeah, it was right when quarantine started. Yeah, uh, our I upload our first episode was March twentieth. Wow! Oh wow, man! What are we going to do for our one year episode? Like that's going to be a special occasion. Get COVID vaccines on camera. We could do that. We could find like a celebrity guest, get on cameo, and you know bring Carol Baskins in. <laughs> Who is the real hero, by the way, of the story? Carol Baskins no. is, no is the cameo that this podcast deserves. I think she is. I'm, I'm actually. Shameless, I think we're going no, to have uh, to- Well, yeah, okay, but there is one question I... So I, I have a confession to make. Go ahead. I have made it all the way through quarantine thus far and have never seen Tiger King. If you really, like, just need to distract yourself from the world and want to see the, you know, big cat equivalent of a train wreck, um, it's captivating. I literally watched the first episode because I just was so curious about all the people talking about, you know, another weird true crime docu-series on Netflix, because I usually ignore those. And I was captivated within the first 15 minutes. Fittingly for a show that, you know, prominently features so many people on drugs, I'm pretty sure that show is drugs. Like, and I'm not a true crime fan, but like before our, uh, I guess it was our third episode actually with Samantha uh, Bowman, Ben and Sam told me, you have to watch this. I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, I'll play along in. 
didn't disappoint. We were just kind of throwing around. So, like, so what there's about. like it is like it's definitely an interesting documentary, but it is highly, highly edited and highly biased. They removed all the crazy racist stuff that I'm not surprised. Like there's articles about, online about how like the producers are like it didn't like um, it didn't kind of fit the narrative and it was kind of a bummer. So but here's the thing about that documentary series, like straight up, like I remember watching it and I was just like, I am rooting for absolutely no one except for these animals. Oh, you shouldn't. <laughs> like that's the thing that's important about to like remember about is that like no one there is really truly like without some sort of like asterisk by their name. Yeah. I think that, no, I'd say the one who got their arm bitten off and then came back to work right after, uh, like surgery. Also, the documentary dead named and uh, misgendered him because he's a trans man, and they yeah. kept it. Yeah, so but they did actually. Uh, Joe McHale did uh, reach ask them, and they just said, "Yeah, we noticed that, but we just didn't really care." So the same thing about showing off racism. The same thing about like. Because, like, Carol Baskin's husband was, like, involved in some shady stuff, too. And, like, he kind of groomed her. She was, like, what, 20 when she met him? Oh, utterly terrible. So this all, I feel like this is all driving us because, you know, originally we weren't planning on doing our, you know, episode. First we thought. Oh, I got to run away for a couple minutes. I'll be right back. Miss you. Yes. So, original. We haven't done an episode since November after we won, you know, this thing called the presidency, you know, no big deal. And then, uh, and then we Ben says to me, okay, we if we win Georgia, we have to do an episode. Yes, okay, no problem. And then we thought, okay, we're going to reach out to Becky. Then, of course, this crazy thing happened at the Capitol, which I don't think we have to really tell our listeners too much about what happened, but basically a whole bunch of people that are members of a cult – uh, decided to storm the Capitol and try to over, basically do the closest thing we'll ever see to a coup in our lifetimes. Hopefully. <laughs> knocking, yes. Yeah. I am literally knocking on wood. Yeah, you can't say stuff like that. The universe hears it. Yeah, you're right. And I have to go outside, spit three times, spit or go outside, spin around three times, spit and curse after this. I'll handle the interview until you get back. It's fine. Um, Yeah, this as as I think I could tell you well. If you get too optimistic, terrible things will happen. Um, But yeah, like while we were waiting on results, I think right when it was starting to look pretty clear that at least Raphael Warnock would win his seat um, because he was always a little bit ahead of Ossoff. Like we started talking because we knew we had been on a little bit of a hiatus. Everyone was just tired of talking about this stuff after the election. Uh, and we were gearing up to start again. And it's like, all right, this is happening. This is huge. Let's get, you know, one or two of our Georgia friends. And I think we'd already reached out to Becky at this point about maybe coming on for that. And we'll record on Thursday. And we're all ready to do that. And, you know, trying to figure out, trying to talk to Becky, set up a time. And, you know, wee hours of the morning, they declare for us off, and it's great. And then that few, Yeah. Like, we already knew, basically, that... That, like, both sides... Both were going to win by, like, that morning. And most of us were turning on C-SPAN to watch the counting of the electoral votes. <laughs> I was sitting in the den with my mother... Uh, Next thing I hear is the Senate will be uh, in recess. I'm like, what? So, I... like, here's, like, my perspective, like, on the ground as someone who was in Georgia. So this is, like, mm-hmm. the trippiest thing. So, like, I had been working throughout the entire election season with my, with, with, with one of the campaigns that I work for on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And 
then you know we hit the point where it, it became clear that we were going to have a runoff election and we always knew that warnock was going to have one because there were there were like 21 people who ran for that seat in that jungle primary i mean there was no way anyone was going to get a clear victory enough to not have it so like, it was one thing we were always kind of prepared for we always figured it was either going to be warnock leffler or warnock collins we didn't know which one of the republicans i was going to go for um so then when it became clear that we were going to have like more than one race, it was like, oh, this is a, this is a much bigger thing now. And I ended up staying on board. Um, I ended up picking up like more organizer work, getting on with like our state party. And like, so like I organized for months and doing all this work on the ground. I mean, and it was one of the most brutal things I think I've ever done campaign wise. And I've worked on a lot of campaigns because like, you'd have to understand everyone here was just so inundated with campaign stuff and whatnot and so we finally get to this point where you know we've gone through as organizers some of the hardest organizing i've ever done to the fact that we've won i mean we we had like a call that morning with each other like I mean, everyone's just crying you know everyone's just like celebra- celebrating and you know and this is years and years and years of work on the ground here and then all of a sudden it's like a byline like a second like minor story that Ossoff won and that was like i think one of the hardest things because if you don't want to take away from the significance and importance of like what is happening in the nation's capital and that you know attempted coup but like also it's just so frustrating because there's just so many people who have been here for years and years and years doing this work who you know didn't get their flowers didn't get their due you know credit and diligence and I think that that, that's one of the hardest things I think that was dealt with here in Georgia and so um I've always been tight in the Ossoff camp um since like back in 17 and, you know, we got to have like a minor little celebration with one another that um, his political director put together on Zoom, which was really fantastic. But, you know, I think that's like the one thing that really sucks the most about this that people aren't necessarily talking about is that like the folks who have done so much work here to flip the state and it's really not even a story anymore. You know, I always kind of knew that political Twitter was going to roll up and leave after January 5th. And that's okay. You know, I mean, that's, that's the nature of news cycles, but, you know, it's just really disappointing to have it just be an idiot in a Buffalo costume, you know, taking away from this amazing work that these black women have done on the ground for years here, you know. And the network didn't even uh, like declare Ossoff until middle of the raid, which, and the only positive part of this whole saga was how Trump got banned from Twitter. And I thought it was great on that Friday night when he was trying to then use the at POTUS account. Twitter blocks that. Then he tries to use at Team Trump. Twitter blocks that. Then he tries to use his digital director's account. Twitter blocks that. So he is mute. And now he has to send out press releases that are tweets, basically. Press releases like a real professional. Like what actual, how actual people do accept. So, yeah, but also I like one that sucks, but two, I want to say like, I mean, we know each other from Young Democrats of America. I've already proposed like, I mean, we need like basically no one who's been on the ground in Georgia will should ever have to buy a drink at any Democratic <clears throat> meeting ever again. I feel like I've made it very clear and Becky, you are 100% part of this. After what y'all were able to pull off there, both, you know, flipping in November to help us take the white house and then helping us retake the damn senate in a state like georgia where i can only imagine how difficult that was yeah yeah we're going back and get this you actually had my 
you make up a list of just the shots you want. People <laughs> have people on rotating duty delivering them to you. You know how like those girls on like, their 21st birthday and their bachelorette parties walk around with those like big like checklist signs of like things there's people are supposed to do. Like that's what I'm gonna do with the next YDA event. Like I'm just gonna have like a board of like things that people have to buy me and you can just come by like and check them off with a Sharpie like on a sandwich board like over my shoulders. <laughs> Done. Right. Well, then you had my favorite take on the Georgia election, and I i don't know if it was original or if you stole it, but the whole thing about um, we take the Senate with a black man and a Jewish man in a deep southern state and how this is the greatest Disney Plus season yet. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, I, a million people have talked about what a, what a how crazy the optics of that are. Because, I mean, and granted, like, I live in Kansas. We're not exactly known for being the most progressive and diverse in the world either. But most people aren't going to look down at Georgia and think this is the kind of state that's going to send this diverse slate of Democrats to the Senate. But you know what, too, though, I'll say here, like, and I think, I know I've said this to people within YDA. Um, I don't know if I've said it specifically to anyone here that I know from YDA, but like whenever people would ask me, especially after 2017 Ossoff ran for the first time, and that was so highly publicized, I feel, and then after Abrams ran, which was so highly publicized, I feel like everyone would always ask me kind of like at meetings every year, you know, like, how are things really, you know? And like, and for a long time, I, my response is always, well, it's getting better. And that was true because like, that's how I felt about it because like every time, you know, I would talk to someone that's truly what it was like we were making progress every election so I feel like it's easy to sleep on a state like Georgia because you know historically if you look at it you know it's been pretty consistent for Republicans but you know like I've seen heat maps of this state even before we did this and you know I know DeKalb County got a lot of attention on election night and as they should um I'm a big fan of DeKalb County I work in DeKalb County but um you know via heat maps we had the votes for years in DeKalb County alone if we could just turn out every single voter. So, I mean, like, this is a, a story of voter turnout, period, in the story. Um, you know, and it's just, I'm, I'm just so proud of it. Like, it's one thing that, like, I'm, I'm excited to actually be able to talk about it and have, like, people want to listen about it because it's just been, you know, I, I understand why everyone wants to talk about what happened at the Capitol. Believe me, I do, you know, but it's just one of those things, like, we work Let's so our only intentions hard here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's just... It's just so gratifying to have that moment, you know, like, and as someone, especially, you know, I work in politics here in Georgia, I've chosen to stay here. I could have easily left multiple times, you know, so being able to, to be here, you know, and, and do this here. I mean, it just, I, I can't even put into words how much it meant to me. And I'm still starting to tear up talking about it right now, but you know, it's just, this is home. And for those of you that live in States that, you know, you've been told that it's not possible or, that you're on a fence, like to do it at home, you know, like it's just, it, it's a totally different feeling of victory. Like victories are good, but man, this one is just righteous. Now, and this has always been so, sort of my perspective, uh, just kind of living where I live. It kind of has always felt like the National Democratic Party tries to manufacture which states are going to become competitive at times. And like, I say this having spent like, especially when I was in college, all the national packs and campaigns were utterly fixated on Missouri because they almost flipped for Obama once and they elected Claire McCaskill. And so a lot of the volunteer strength and a lot of the money that could have come to competitive races in my state went there and still lost instead. And I know they're always obsessed with Florida and 
Texas has been sort of an emphasis just sort of for the optics of it. At what point did it sort of become obvious that they were starting to really put their energy into Georgia for you? Um, you know, here's the thing is that I don't think we ever really felt that. And what I mean by this is like, we've had high profile races here, most notably Ossoff's first run in 17 and then Stacey Abrams's gubernatorial run in 18. Um, Stacey definitely changed um, our presence on the map and especially as close as that guy. I think that's when people really realized that like the stuff with Ossoff wasn't a fluke, you know, that it wasn't just some like guy who was able to raise a lot of money here. Um, but to be honest with you, I didn't really feel a lot of the DNC presence. And I don't really think I felt a lot of like changing tides until we really got into runoff territory. And that's when it was like, okay, you know, we were already at this point, we were close. You know, we had the Senate hanging here. I mean, I think the stakes just automatically raised to the point that, you know, this was the most important thing going on in the country, arguably even more important than the inauguration at that point, because, you know, Joe Biden had already won. So it became a thing of, you know, let's throw the kitchen sink in, you know, get everything we can in Georgia, you know, and if we, if we go down, we go down swinging, but, you know, we've had such strong infrastructure built here and we've build, been building coalitions for years. And one of the things that I think is just so, so super important to really emphasize over and over and over again is that black women have been doing this work for such a long time and have not gotten nearly the amount of praise and admiration that they deserve. And that does not just include Stacey Abrams. Stacy is definitely one of the more high profile people and she is brilliant and intelligent and I love her. And I'm not saying anything negative about Stacy. She is phenomenal, but it wasn't just Stacy alone that took the state. You'll never hear a bad word about Stacey Abrams on this pod. Oh yeah. no, I will, I will personally bleep it. Definitely not. My, my whole point about it is that like, yeah, yeah. I love Stacy, but like there's, you know, it's, it's really an impossible theory to think that any one person could do something like that alone, you know? That was, uh, so- I, uh... Oh, I was going to say, I live um, in Wisconsin, um, which is, of course, been a, a state of interest as of late. Um, but I thought it was really interesting just to piggyback off what Becky was saying, um, that when you looked at what happened in 2016 in Wisconsin, there was a lot of blame, a lot of places, you know, people wanted to talk about Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, et cetera. But I didn't think nearly enough people talked about the fact that what happened between 2012 and 2016 was the voter disenfranchisement efforts with voter ID and things like that, that intentionally suppressed specifically the black vote in this state. And that one of the things that I saw between 2016 and now was a lot of engagement specifically by black women to engage the black community. And I think that that is an important distinction of what happened between 2012 and 2016 and 2016 and 2020. So I actually, so I'm up in, you know, nice liberal blue bubble, Massachusetts, which is a little bit more purplish than people like to think, but um, we have, um, but uh, I went, like right ahead of the 2016 election, like I'd been in there for, been in Massachusetts for about six months and I was doing some voter registration drives and like, um, I was working at a hospital and I was taking all my, uh, t asking all my coworkers, it's like, hey, I'm doing some voter registration. Are y'all registered to vote at your current address? I had one colleague who updated their address, but another one who I kind of chased down nicely, so um, um, after, um, African-American woman, she was like, no, I don't vote. And she didn't feel like she, like that her community was uh, being heard. So there's no point in her voting. And so I'm no longer there, but like, we're still Facebook friends. And like, she started like in the last year, year definitely like, I mean, she's been doing political stuff, which has been kind of crazy. And it's just like one little microcosm of seeing and what, and like emphasizing as, um, 
Emily and Becky have said is like the importance of black women in their community and for sharing why it's important to vote because they are heard there in their leaders of their community and they help drive change. Yeah, no, and I think that that's like another interesting point there too, is that like, so I, I'm, I'm not on camera. I don't know if this is ever going to be shared photo wise, but like, I'm very white. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm so white, I'm pink. Like that's you know, like straight up. Like we I have no- five very white people on this podcast today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but um, Becky, the last time you were on this, you were also in a onesie. I was, I was in the Carrie Bear onesie. <laughs> but, I am um, but, my, my Georgia Dems that I bought from them as a fundraiser, the get ready to worn out your ass off. Oh yeah, um, Miko Doherty designed that shirt and she's phenomenal. Um, I'm just gonna give her stuff a shout out. Her, She's on Instagram at designs by Miko and she is a amazing, amazing designer. Um, I've worked with her on a lot of campaigns and um, her business is an LGBTQ owned business. So if you're looking for anything like that, shout out to Miko 100. We'll add that to the show notes. But, um, but one thing too that like I found interesting was that um, at the end of the Senate runoff stuff, even though we knew we had the win here, um, we were still doing provisional ballot chasing um, on the last several days. And I was going into neighborhoods that, you know, were not necessarily predominantly white. And it's an interesting challenge um, because I've done this twice now. And the first time I did it, um, I went canvassing with Amber Sherman, who's um, another one of our young Dem friends. And people were more likely to talk to us when she was around. But like, if I go to a door as like a lily white, white woman, and I'm trying to explain to someone they've got a ballot issue, like I get the most distrustful looks and I understand it completely, you know, but it's like, but that's also why like having organizers that don't just look like white people is so important. I have another friend on the ground here who, um, who speaks fluent Hindi and was able to cure like an entire family's ballots because she was able to break through that language barrier and wasn't someone who just looked like, you know, a regular schmegler Becky over here, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's such important work. And it's so important that like, especially like, as we reach out to these people who are already somewhat disenfranchised to begin with, you know, that we have folks that look like them to talk, talk to them and, you know, and make sure they understand that yes, your vote does count. We just have to get past these barriers. Well, on sort of a lighter note, so part of the reason why we decided to do this episode today, and we're recording on January 16, 2021. So in less than 96 hours, we will have a new president. Woo! Yeah. So right before we started, my housemate popped into the room and said, it's like that Trump wanted a red carpet and a 21 gun salute as you left. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. He wants a military send off. It's insane. Like his delusions of grandeur are truly insane. I'm happy to like set off fireworks when he leaves. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, fireworks! You get some. I had every plan to do that and to do like fireworks stuff here, but then I'm um, I'm I'm in quarantine right now. I've got two positive cases of COVID in my house, so I can't go get my fireworks. I don't know if I'm positive yet. I have my test tomorrow, so fingers crossed that I am negative. Um, but you know what Georgia, Amazon is for? Amazon won't deliver fireworks in Georgia though. But I'm I, I'm gonna have like a friend. Damn you, my- Bezos! You're, what are you good for? <laughs> I'm gonna go like I'm gonna have like a run. A friend of mine run me some champagne so I can do inauguration brunch and mimosas. That's one thing that, like, I'm not letting COVID steal from me. <laughs> so we get a. So yesterday I got a Facebook memory from when I uh, this time four years ago, actually, no, three years ago. I was in Key West, Florida, for on a family vacation right before the New York meeting of YDA, which 
I apologize again for that meeting. <laughs> I had so much fun that meeting, though. Why? There was so much. I, uh, I don't anyway, know. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a group called Back. I'm probably going to have to bleep out the name, but whatever. And so they kept on doing like ads on CNN saying, you know, call call this number to thank President Trump. And so Ben and I thought to ourselves, let's just do some prank calls to back. So I will put in the chat the number and because I also don't feel like having to bleep more than I have to. There are actually two numbers. One's a 1-800 number and one's the regular number. So, anyone have ideas on what we should do in our prank calls? Like, isn't that some sort of, like, incitement of something? Like, that doesn't feel very n- nice. But... You don't, how is incitement? Not, it, we're, as long as we're not... Like, yeah. What? Is it? You're asking no. people, like, to not do nice... Well, I mean, that, asking you could call and hang up answer. a bunch of times. Like, I've never been a fan of prank calls, so... I'm kind of a bummer here. Yeah, like, unless we're openly saying, hey, let's harass an individual or, you know, commit acts of violence, which we are not, we have senses of humor and don't need to do that. No, I don't think that's something you're going to have to be too worried about. Um, He's a lawyer. I know, like, it's like, and this also lets me know that maybe I'm wasting money on my legal insurance because, like, evidently, like, what I think is a not nice thing to do. Like for me getting upset about this means like, oh, okay, you're not, you really are going to need that. Remember, there's a line between not so, a nice thing to do and say storming the Capitol because you're pissy about how your vote went. Like big difference. Big old difference. Also, if the last several months have taught us anything, it's that there's kind of no, like, there's no fealty to the law anymore. Like you can just, say things, you can file things in court filings, you can say someone is your client who is not your client, you can fake affidavits, and you can get away with it for a very long time. Oh, yeah. Here's the one thing I'm wondering about the legal community, honestly, truly, like, is what's next for Rudy Giuliani? Like, what does his life look like from here? Because, like, there's no way he can practice in the same type of esteem and caliber that he once could have like i mean there's a big question about if he's going to be able to practice at all which granted he really hadn't done that much in the way of legal practice for some time before trump asked for his help he was a partner in greenberg touring which is a huge firm in new york city and then he (laughs) left that to help trump um but now the New York bar is trying to go after his license so here's my question okay so here's me well sort of or to, to either, I, I think you're an attorney too, Emily, correct? I'm based on your name. So. I am, yeah. Okay. So it I, should be noted, anything I say on this podcast is not legal advice. Yep. Right. No, 100% not. Um, the one question I have is that I saw that they're trying to remove him from his membership from the New York State Bar Association, but that's not the same as disbarment, correct? It, I correct. So I actually can speak to that. Or, shame, do you want to? I, yeah. I, do you want to go? You New Yorker. Yeah, the, so if, you want, like, if you're going to be disbarred, it goes through the appellate division, which New York courts are screwed, super screwed up. Appellate division is just like the second level. Like that would be like an appeals court because our lowest court is called the Supreme Court because the founders of the state are dumb. I digress. Uh, the appellate division has already started proceedings on disbarment. So, yeah, he could lose his license. 
Gotcha. Because I knew there was a difference, but I wasn't so, sure exactly what. Yeah. Yeah. So in New York, and Tim, if you can jump in if I get this wrong, in New York, there's a difference between like the organization that gives you your license and that it, that would be your, your court and then the organization that is your state bar, which is kind of like a lobbying. It's like a, it's like a professional organization. It's a lobbying group, things like that. And so the news that you saw when it said, you know, New York State Bar is taking the unprecedented step of, you know, recommending that his license be, you know, or advocating that his license be removed. I mean, it is fairly unprecedented that your trade organization would publicly advocate for you to no longer be a member of the trade, but it's not the same as the disciplinary proceedings, which Seamus discusses as already starting. And my understanding of disciplinary proceedings is basically that whenever there's a complaint um, that goes through, that there's a complaint that you are doing something that violates your professional ethics, the licensing agency has to investigate it. I'm sure there's been a million complaints so whether or not he'll actually get disbarred is different than whether or not they're investigating it. And it may take a very long time, but I would be shocked if there isn't some form of discipline that goes beyond a private reprimand. But Yeah, that's basically it. Um, but I actually know one of the people that did submit um, one of the complaints to the appellate division. He actually did as a public letter. Uh, I think you it was shared, I want to say, on Daily Caller, but I could be wrong. Uh, but, yeah, he actually told me that it was possibly one of the most fun letters he's ever written to a disciplinary organization. The joy that must go into writing for any sort of discipline against somebody like that. Because, I mean, that's maybe the biggest political fall from grace that I can imagine in my lifetime. I say this firmly remembering being in high school and that period of a couple of years where Rudolph Giuliani was literally the most beloved man in America. And you like took down the mob too. Yeah. Like the thing is that people don't realize is that September 10th, 2010, New Yorkers were just done with him. We wanted him gone. Yeah, and, no doubt about this. Yeah, but, like People don't realize how, like, he really wasn't as great a mayor as people think he is. His only real crowning achievement yeah. is that he cleaned up Times Square, which yeah. I can't. But that's instead really we get point. racist Selmos. Yeah. The point there, though, is that because of just whatever calm guiding hand he even projected around 9-11, even if it maybe didn't translate to anything policy-wise, I mean, the guy got an honorary knighthood. People admired him so damn much until he, you know, first tried to run for president and exposed to the world that, hey, when I'm not looking like your reassuring uncle, I'm actually a complete asshole, which, you know, obviously he was. I married my cousin. I announced I'm leaving my wife on television before telling her, you know, the hits keep coming. Yeah. Oh, but like just. Oh, be fair. It was his second cousin. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, just the fall from like what I remember people thinking about Rudolph Giuliani when I was 14 years old versus what he is now, which is just this, you know, face melting senile puppet. Um, and not like in the sense that Donald Trump is controlling him. I think he's literally made of felt and exists purely for comical purposes. Um, 
it's just, and survives on blood for sustenance. Yeah, that's like most puppets do in the, in the wild. Yes, um, I mean it's it's like the pol- the political version of you know Lance Armstrong. He's this great inspirational figure, and then oh wait, everyone figures out that he's a liar. And no, fuck off. We're going to do a documentary about you years later and then not talk about you. And the it doc- is true that I have as many Tour de France wins as Lance Armstrong. Oh, <laughs> I can't ride a bike for shit. That's just fun to think about. As However, isn't one of the reasons that like, they, like they've just kind of nulled out the years he's, win, he's won is because like from later on, people who are caught doping like during the years he was racing, you can't like it was people who maybe were in 20th place because basically everyone like it's not oh everyone's doing it it was literally just about everyone was doing that in the in the bike racing world melissa if everyone were doing dope and jumping off a bridge were you would you do it too no 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 what i'm saying is like yes he got national attention for it and like but it was it was a symptom of that was not an answer that was not an answer counts what kind of dope I mean, in this case, probably the steroid type that Lance Armstrong was doing, but that's at least somewhat immaterial to the premise of the, you know, glib little comment that I was making. I mean, I I understand, but my answer is very dependent on what kind of drugs we're talking about. In this case, steroids. Oh, well then, no. And I think, too, one of of the, like, I lived in Texas during um, Lance Armstrong's heyday, so I think I'm probably, I'm probably, like, a little bit is like well i mean he had done a lot of good things but like and yes that was solidly absolutely wrong but at the same time like that was the nearly the entirety of the biking world and i guess kind of the coming back and said well nearly the entirety of the biking world and well other people only don't to be competitive because of the example him, but yeah, but you know i feel a bit more gray i guess steroids, about but still get pissed off at mark mcguire so yeah yeah, I, I'm not going to go ahead and we have completely and utterly gotten sidetracked from the purposes of the episode, and that's mostly my fault, as it usually is. Uh, but really, probably not going to go with the everyone was doing it, so I should too excuse. Anyway, so at some point uh, decades ago, we were talking about making prank calls. Seamus, what do you got? Um, how, how do. Um, so I. Oh, actually. I, f- I was talking before we started recording about something regarding trying to develop a shrine to Donald Trump, but I need to plan to blow this up a little bit more. What do you guys think? Or what do y'all think? Call it the Don Mahal. <laughs> like when you say shrine, you mean like a really big tombstone, right? No, I mean somewhere where QAnon <laughs> supporters can go and worship. Isn't that basically anywhere there's still a Trump Tower sign? Or Mar-a-Lago. Actually, if you go near any Trump building, you'll see protesters speaking as a New Yorker. And if you go by, you can't go by Mar-a-Lago. I know because I've driven, I I was, my last Thanksgiving's 2019, I was in Palm Beach. I was supposed to go this year, but then uh, Trump screwed that for both of us because of COVID. Oh, actually, last time I was in New York, which was for my birthday now, two years ago, it was, um, I met my friend, like, in, like, I think it was at Columbus Circle, and I didn't realize until, like, I turned around, because I got very lost, of course, um, 
but it was that like there I turned around and I hadn't noticed there was like a big Trump sign like because it was like a Trump property or some 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 sort of building there and I was actually very sad to see there were no protesters there um back in 2017 when we had I want to say it was 20 the, the New York meeting that was 2017 January 20 uh, 2018 I think 20 okay, okay so we were like right on the cusp okay cool um I, I remember going to tiffany not realizing that it was next door to trump tower on fifth avenue and there were all these people who were like taking pictures like flipping off trump tower and like doing thumbs downs next to trump tower like i didn't see like any outright like protests but like that was a predominant thing that was happening across the street i've actually told a friend of mine who's closer with a councilman i'm buddies worth than i am that uh Fifth Avenue between 56 and 57th Street should just actually be renamed Loser Way. Huh. Uh, my buddy did not think that he should pass it on to the councilman. But I wonder, like, honestly, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm not trying to detract this from, from this yeah. phone call conversation, Good but, work. like, I do wonder how it impacts business for, like, staples like Tiffany, because that's, like, their, like, flagship location. Oh, they were really in trouble. I think when you have the same name as one of Trump's children and you're near his building, you really well, That's who she's named after. Is it like really? Yeah, it's got to be. That's got to be a status thing. It shouldn't be at all I think, I think so, actually. It has to be. <laughs> Googling. God, imagine if he just really hated one of his children, you know, from the start. I assume he hates Like him. Baron? Like, <laughs> no, Baron is named after he hates his... Baron. Named oh, yeah, Jesus. Oh, my God. I, I just t- Googled Tiffany Trump named after... Uh, she's Donald Trump's only child with second life acting actress and television personality, Marl Maples, whom he married in December 1993. She was named after Tiffany and Company. Her father purchased the air rights above Fifth Avenue store uh, in the 1980s. When, uh, so, yeah, Becky's right. And Barron, something that's very interesting is that he used to, Trump used to work as his own publicist named John Barron. Interesting. I was going to say if he really hated one of his children, he probably would have named them J.C. Penney's. <laughs> I don't think he hates oh. Baron, but I think he might hate Don Jr. and Eric. I don't think he, he actually was afraid. He was hesitant to name Don Jr. Don or Don Jr. because he didn't think that Don Jr. would ever live up to it enough to actually be worth the name. That doesn't surprise me in the least. Mm-hmm. I mean, jokes on isn't him. Second son, isn't it his second son that's the junior? Even. No, it's okay. Yeah, no. Uh, Eric is the is uh, the younger one. Okay, I, I I don't I can't tell. They're they they're they're just evil. So like they they the age doesn't make a difference. Apparently, Don Junior doesn't believe anything that of this stuff. He just has to suck up because either that or he's going to be cut off. Uh, according to Michael Cohen, Don Junior just wants to live on a ranch in Wyoming, but he was told if you do that, then you're going to be disowned. Like, is there any actual money to be cut off from? Possibly because of, like, actual ownership of the companies. So you would get then, like, the dividends. Okay. But otherwise, isn't the big thing that, like, so much of it is, like, that it claims to be a big millionaire, but there's actually not that much? Oh, yeah. And then, well, chances are probably, hope I'm knocking on wood in the next week or so we'll probably start seeing the tax returns because there will be indictments from uh, Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance and New York Attorney General Letitia James. Letitia. 
Well, and also prior to the insurrection, there was something to be cut off from, which is the whether it's the, the money or the cachet of being in good with Trump's fans. Right. Because we've also seen that it kind of doesn't matter like what your loyalty was or what your, you know, what your actions were, what your connections were before Trump decided he didn't like you, right? Like the insurrectionists chanted, hang my pence, right? Um, and if Donald Trump had just decided to take away his, um, his love, his whatever from Don Jr., that would definitely have impacted John Jr.'s ability to um, continue to make a name for himself, continue to make money off of that entire gravy train, because it's not as if, um, it's not as if he like is doing something outside of the Trump brand. And moreover with Don Jr., if it, uh, if it wasn't who he is, chances are he would not be Kimberly Guilfoyle because uh, with Trout getting too explicit, Kimberly Guilfoyle, according to Brian Stelter's book, uh, uh, Hoax, basically believes in sleeping her way to the top. And the way that she got fired from Fox News, which is hard to believe that that can, that can happen, is way more explicit than I'm even willing to go. Yeah, I don't think we need to quite go that far. I think it's enough that we can say that if somebody's that associated with the Trump family, we can happily just not have respect for them. However, of course, she. we also know that she is just Rita Repulsa. That was like my favorite meme to come out of the RNC, though, straight up. God, that speech. And also I the fact that... I can't watch any of this because like I, I, like I would get noise complaints from screaming too much at the TV. I have to admit with that speech, like I felt, a, I felt a twinge bad for her because I felt like that speech was meant to play to a room full of people. Like maybe she wrote it before the whole thing went virtual and then just didn't realize that it was not going to play to a room full of nobody. I think that's fair because you yeah. would have had some audience reaction popping off of that. And it, right. it's kind of like the same thing that's happened to comedians. Like it's, like it's very weird to watch like, the first time I, I watched like Colbert doing his at home stuff and he's delivering jokes that normally he would get a laugh from the audience to like it being silent. It's just, it's a weird feeling. Even if it was funny, yeah. it was just a weird like pause mm -hmm. moment. I got that yeah. with John Oliver. But one thing that I did stick out with me with uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle is how she basically turned her mom into an immigrant. Her, she says basically that her uh, her mother's from Puerto Rico, and then she uh, and then used the term immigrant about her, and like, she's not an immigrant. She moved. Well, technically, can't you emigrate from one state to another? No, she said emigrate is different than immigrate. No, she said immigrate, like I am, which yeah. is another country. She genuinely approached this like, oh, my family escaped <laughs> from another country to come to the United States when they were literally part of america um the you know, status of that and the dispute over that notwithstanding i uh a friend of mine is from texas and um shared a video recently of people testifying at like the school board meeting from the school where like she had gone you know from the district where she had gone to school and it was people i can't remember now if the issue I think it was, you know, teaching about like, you know, racial diversity and things like that. 
Um, but there was definitely somebody who testified that they had, you know, come to Texas to avoid, you know, like the woke liberals of California who definitely described themselves as a refugee from California. So, you know, maybe you can immigrate from Puerto Rico if you're one of these people. Like, maybe that's just what they think. Probably not the direction I'd take it, but I'm, I'm honestly at this point not going to try to purse out the logic of that family. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, for mental health reasons, I think it's best that none of us actually um, attempt to do that. There's people in much higher pay grades that can write books on things like that. <laughs> oh, there will be many books written about a lot of things that have happened over the last four years. I can't wait for the poor kids in school to have to go over like the Trump presidency era in history class. <laughs> okay, kids, oh. I know that we're in the sixth grade, but in order for us to get through this, uh, who here has never done a shot before? <laughs> Here's your tequila. Slam that back and then open your book. <laughs> like, how, how do you explain QAnon to kids? So somebody said some really stupid bullshit on the internet. And a bunch of people, especially boomers, don't really understand that just because it's on their computer that that doesn't mean it's not true. Um, because the internet is the wild west of information. But what did QAnon say? What's that? Playing the kid now, but what did QAnon say that made them believe it was true? Well, so, like, didn't we have to explain this back during Clinton's impeachment, like the Bill Clinton's impeachment and like Monica Lewinsky? Because I think I was what, like, you guys are a couple years younger than me. So, like, how did you get that at? Like, my father, of course, listened hardcore to Rush Limbaugh. So, I knew all about the stain on the dress and what that yeah, actually like was. I mean, I remember it. I remember being in school, like, when it happened, I, I like, I, I want to say I was like maybe eight. That sounds about right. I don't know. Math is hard. But um, the thing I remember about it is, is I remember basically like the impeachment happened because he lied about it. I remember that's what I was explaining about is that, you know, like the action was not okay. And that, you know, like when you're married, you're married and you should be faithful to your partner. But, you know, that wasn't the reason that the impeachment was happening. It was the fact that he lied under oath about it. That's how I was like point blank explained to it explained about it from like democrat parents too so like i was not hearing like the rush limbaugh side of it but also at that time newt gingrichman newt gingrichman i'm so tired newt gingrich was my congressman so you know like i definitely was hearing the other stuff locally so like my parents had to swoop in and explain it out to me or else i was going to hear just nothing but the negatives Man, I still remember, like in like my in my college uh, human sexuality course, to talk about that uh, that actually the um, oral sex has gone up because of the Clinton impeachment. <laughs> oh, so you know something good came out of it then. Yeah, and because of this, you know, hopefully, people taking what they read on the internet with a grain of salt will go up um because holy shit if people would have just not looked at random things on a message board and said this is implicitly true because they have said that somebody i don't like politically is a child molester imagine the trouble we wouldn't have i mean i have seen people who have probably heard about the idea of QAnon, but don't really think about it just see all the memes and the random little unsourced articles saying like such and such you remember sometime last year there was a whole thing going around for like a month where somebody claimed that they had caught people trafficking children through uh furniture over wayfair and people actually right. 
Right, I remember that. Which, it was just that Wayfair was uh, was actually providing furniture for the detention centers. That's what it ended up being. Which was well, also like I don't know if this was an actual thing Wayfair was doing, but this is what was being like sourced in the material. Was that like the furniture had like names? So it'd be like the Amelia dresser, like three thousand dollars. So they were like. Amelia is in the dresser and they're selling her for, you know, like. And people say like, oh, we saw this and it came from this place. And here's an article about a child with this name having gone missing a week before. And people just believed this. And they yeah, go and say that. happened in the second series of the Amazon The Tick about human mm -hmm. furniture. If only The Tick were real and if only they hadn't canceled that show. Why, Amazon? Why did you do that to us? It was joyous. Uh, moving Again, on. Again, Bezos, why? No. Like, okay, we get that you do the Washington Post thing. We thank you for that. But no, no, no. We, there's some stuff that we need from you. Come on. Give us more Fleabag, too. I only just got into that. Uh, anyway. Bring, bring back Alpha House. Nothing to do with Jeff Bezos. I, I'm sure. I know. But we're going. I'm going to get us on another tangent there. So let's avoid that. Um, but there is this inherent gullibility that people have in... I mean, there have always been issues with people not understanding how to take the media with a grain of salt, because for a long time, mass media was built up to be something that you could trust and that there was accountability in it. And, you know, they were the days. And this is true on both sides. Like how many of us believed that whole thing with um, 2016 when the fake people uh, magazine article with Trump saying that if I'm going to run, I'm going to do as a Republican because they're so stupid. Oh, I believed that for a while. I, I <laughs> When I first saw that, I'm like, there must be a greater context here. Hold on. And so I Googled it. Nothing came up. And that's when I knew, okay, this is BS. Well, for but... me, it was just like, okay, I have such a low opinion of this person that any egregious quote from them, I'm going to believe because screw them, I don't care. And generally that's true, but oh, wait, occasionally you can fall victim to it. And that's the same thing that QAnon does. They take the inherent dislike that especially a lot of conservatives have for anyone that is even slightly left of center and they just start pushing it to greater extremes and people start off buying into it because they want to. And as it goes on, the confirmation bias just gets stronger and stronger to the point where, you know, you get all the people that are on, I can't say on parlor now because that seems to be going the way of the Dodo hilariously. Um, the Dodo is actually a really great, like kind of cute blog where they have like lots of cute animal stories. She's I, talking about the OR version. I have no idea what's happening. So there's IRL two, parlor, are there's two <laughs> parlors. There's P-A-R-L-E-R, -E which that's the one that's been shut down. Then there's P-A-R-L-O-R. Parlor. Well, what I'm talking about is don't make a, it's, I'm making a oh. joke about the way of the Dodo, like for extinct versus like the, this really oh. cute, like. I thought you were talking about the other app. That was a deeper cut than I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you saw like the screenshots people would, you know, go on, just look through and take, or I knew people that would start up, you know, fake accounts just to troll people. Um, and, and they also like would, if you, they saw that you were trying to like start, start something, they would shut you down. Like they would like, uh, remember the whole thing with uh, trying to get people to not vote for uh, War or Loeffler and God, who's the other guy? In Purdue. Purdue, yeah. Purdue. I mean, he's already lost my left my memory because <laughs> probably a good thing. 
they said basically don't vote for Loeffler and Purdue because uh, they didn't deliver Georgia for us. And basically Parler actually shut that down as a trending topic. So actually a funny thing, like the one funny thing about QAnon, so I live in Quincy, Massachusetts, and we're getting ready to celebrate our 400th anniversary of being like existing as a city. And um, so there's a, like a Q400 like merch outfit, which is a big Q. Um, my friend has a Quincy 400 mug that like she had on, like it showed up in her Zoom meetings. She had it around and she had to clarify, no, this is not the QAnon thing. This is like, oh no, oh no. There needs to be new marketing and branding. <laughs> yeah. I remember oh, no, judging by one, our our mayor, he might not actually he might actually enjoy that. But uh, when Q, the QAnon thing first started, I was in a group chat, and because I I have a thing where I loved is learning about different conspiracy theories, which has influenced a lot about this podcast. As we also know, birds are not real. That was a deep cut. No, that's a deep cut from this podcast because that was from our one of our early episodes. Uh, but so, so that's someone my in the group chat, conspiracy theory. yeah, someone in the group chat asked me, So, what's up with QAnon? And I'm like, I literally said, Hold my beer in this chat, and I explained the whole thing. They're like, Wait, you're serious? Like, that's the belief? I'm like, Yeah, it's so crazy that, yeah whole bunch of people in the deep state are all trying to traffic children for pedophilia per pedophilic purposes and also to use their blood for sustenance and immortality which has its roots in a lot of old anti-semitic tropes because <laughs> there are people that still to this day believe that we you know kidnap children and use their blood when we make matzah on passover which I I don't know. I see what they're going for because it is pretty salty. Yeah, I don't know if it's kosher anyway. No, it's not. But, kosher. Yeah, either way, that's where all that comes from because you can trace. It dates back, but the idea that dates back to our nation's founding. So, like George Washington was somehow involved with trying to. Well, actually, ironically, George Washington died of bloodletting. Yeah, you know that movie uh, Abraham Lincoln hey. Hunter. Oh, I yeah. love that movie. Yeah. Exposing that because he was the only president who wasn't part of it, uh, and that's why he was assassinated. I actually think that the QAnon thing is going to make more sense in the future. Not in the sense of that, like people will be like, "Oh yes, you know, Q was right all along." But I think that going in, like the further away we get from this point, and you know, this presumes that where we're at right now is a high watermark of all this bullshit. But I actually think that into the future, it's going to look more like a coherent part of this whole story and that we are like a little too close to what's going on to really be able to pull all those threads together like you know as a full society but i actually think that like i think going into the future like when when we're going to be teaching children about what happened that's all going to kind of weave together um but yeah i don't know exactly how we're going to explain and then there was this thing where people believe deep state and pedophiles but i think that the whole like misinformation and you know power insecurity and all of that is going to make more sense when it comes together like when we're a little further away from it okay so i'm going to try uh the number now i'm going to basically say i'm from because the number that will come up is a three four seven so i'll say that i'm from Staten island i'm trying to develop a shrine to donald trump uh for worshipers and that i'm looking for investors also we need gold leafing on it very important <laughs> The gold, yeah, you yes. think, is way more expensive than we originally thought it was going to be. 
Should we be chanting in the background? And obviously a gold-clad fountain, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily chanting in the background, because I'm, you know, I'm not sure if they would be able to hear from my headphones. Or, oh, it's trying to call it into my cell phone. Okay, it's not working that way, so I have to do it actually. I couldn't do it through the web app, so I have to actually do it. You know, Google changes things on me because they don't like me. It's like making prank calls isn't a nice thing to do. Hush. <laughs> Thank you for calling to sign your pledge of support for President Trump. Press oh. one now to pledge your support for President Trump. Again, press one now. Thank you. Before we register your pledge, we have a very important message from Ed Rollins, former campaign director and deputy chief of staff to President Ronald Reagan, and now chairman for PAC. Hello, this is Ed Rollins. President Trump is in a fight for his re-election and needs our help now more than ever. President Trump needs support from the grassroots Americans that elected him president. He's under attack by radical Democrats and the biased fake news media. PAC led the fight in 2016 to elect President Trump and will lead the fight again for his re-election in 2020. We need help from President Trump supporters like you. Can we count on you to make a contribution to support the fight for his re-election in 2020? If you are willing to make a contribution, please press 1 now. Again, please press 1 to support President Trump. I guess press one. 2 to continue. 2. I don't think you're going to I get understand. A donation is a lot to ask for, but you need to stand up now and support <laughs> President Trump. He will face the fight of his life to win re-election in 2020. Your support is critical in our efforts to support him. Like if you can so make even a modest donation, please press 1 now. Press 2 if you want to leave a message of support for President Trump. Yes, I'm uh, calling from Staten Island. Message of support for President Trump. Press any key when finished. Yes, I'm calling from Staten Island, and I'm trying to build a shrine to President Trump because absolutely, I love him. I, I would do anything for him, you know. But I also Thank need you. support. Goodbye. <laughs> I didn't press anything. Oh, oh no! They because I'm pretty sure they've gotten a lot of um, messages like your uh, like yours. <laughs> I love that there's like a message with shame. It's just like I, I, I just love him so much. Click. <laughs> like no, we know that's bullshit. No, but like it is all automated too. So like, I wonder what happens if we try calling the toll free number or the non toll free number. But it's also Google Voice, so I'm paying them damn cent. To this is what we're about here. Yes. I feel like they were like so in tune with the fact that they knew that your prank call was coming. They're like, we're gonna turn the tables. They're fans of the show. After the cone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. Google subscriber you have called is not available. Please leave a message after the tone. They're using Google Voice, too. They're also using Google Voice. 
<laughs> so do I? So I'm not going to tell anyone where to go go to make calls if you want to prank call. Great fact, but if you go on their Facebook page, it's right there. So just do your own digging. I think they haven't updated it lately at all. Like they, they uh, like just said their it last post was from. Uh, let's see, January 5th. Has anything happened since January 5th, guys? Oh, I, nothing. I think so. Yeah. And on so their Twitter, I do it's actually a, have a story. Their, their Twitter has uh, a few I have a story from things. Let her go. Sorry. I, I, I have a story from January 6th because you said, you know, nothing has happened or, you know, what has happened. Um, so Wednesday, it was a Wednesday, obviously. Um, and Wednesday is the day that my assistant comes in and does like paperwork stuff for me. Um, and it was also his 41st birthday. Um, and Georgia had won. So we were, um, you know, celebrating this. We had gone down to the local Mexican grocery store and we were purchasing food. And it was great because we were watching Mitch McConnell be very sad, dubbed into Spanish on Univision, which just has like the sexy male voice. And we were celebrating and it was great. And then the Capitol gets breached. Um, and we're just in my office then just like sort of in horror staring at this. And my assistant just kind of quietly goes, I thought that if American democracy was going to fail on my birthday, it was going to be because of my robot uprising. There's always time. January 5th was actually is, the, right? was the, was the day before it was Tuesday, but who's counting? That's when the Alexis will take control. No, no. The, the capital breach was two, was Wednesday. Yeah, but we're talking about January 5th. Yeah, but we didn't... Right, right, right. So oh, I'm saying this happened oh. after the update. Oh, This oh, is one of those things oh. that happened after the update. Gotcha. Yeah. My bad. No, no, I, I I know what the dates are because that was his birthday is the 6th, mine's the 7th, and it was my 40th birthday. So we did not make it to my 40th birthday without a coup occurring. Technically, it didn't. Uh, it was an attempted coup. Close enough. You make a point. I feel better about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the glass half full side of it. It's like, well, it was just an that's attempted coup. <laughs> right? We did make it to my 40th birthday without a coup occurring. The Republic still stands. The fuck are you snowflakes whining about? <laughs> it's true. I rescind. So. Was anyone else joking or having any just even somewhat sarcastic thoughts about what they were going to do after the fall of the country while this was going on? Because holy shit, it kind of looked like it was going to happen for a hot minute. I didn't. But they were also thinking that if they just burned the electoral ballots, that would be enough. Like Trump, I don't think the I think the ballots are just more formality. So then Trump would still be out of office. Biden would still be elected no matter what. So I did, I, I, the day after, did definitely look up what happened at this point if Joe Biden was assassinated. Because I very much on, on the morning of my birthday felt like that was not um, a thing that I felt like was really far away from reality. So to discover that, um, you know, at, at that point it was official, Kamala would become president, I felt better. Um, but while I didn't necessarily say, above, beyond that, I didn't necessarily say, like, so when do I bust out the Mad Max costume, right? Um, I did, for well, watching the, the riot occur, um, watching 
you know, the Capitol Police kill that woman um, and sort of watching the whole scene unfold. Um, I was actually just sort of like continually struck by like what amateurs these assholes were. Like in addition to, you know, just being on the wrong side of history, um, being here, I'm in Wisconsin. I'm about 45 minutes from Kenosha where the Blake of J- or Jacob Blake um, shooting occurred. I actually represent several protesters or actually they, my clients are alleged to have been medics. Um, but looking at sort of, you know, when the left protests, they bring food, they bring medics, they bring, they have, you know, sort of an idea of like how this is all going to go down. Um, and in a way, the fact that these fuckers had no exit plan, that they didn't know what they were doing, that they didn't even really seem to know what they were going to do. They, they were sort of like dogs who actually catch the squirrel and a little like, now what? Um, kind of gave me hope that like, it was going to be okay because they were such amateurs. I mean, haven't, didn't they, they stormed the Michigan State House and it was kind of like, we're angry. And also, they when they stopped the count, like because they were in recess, they thought, okay, we won. Like, no, if yeah, I watched the videos that came out of Vice, and I'm like thinking to myself, you think you won? Like, just because everyone's in hiding? Like, no, that's not how it works. Congress doesn't have to meet in the Capitol. The lesson here, dear listeners, is if you're going to try to stage a coup, take a goddamn civics course first. <laughs> Have a plan. You can't well, disrupt the government a, in term if you don't know what the government is. Come on, people. This is why we have public education. Get with it. I mean, this is the outcome of public education. So, because we saw funding that remember? I it it has been so my um Reform my younger sister is a middle school principal, and talking with her about where like how this has been for her and for her students. Um, she's a middle school principal in Michigan in an area that's affluent. And so she's been getting calls from parents who are very, very upset with the way that they are addressing, you know, the fact that there was an attempted coup on the country. And she's just been very like saying like, well, okay, thanks for your concern. Like, because this is current events and this is a thing they're going to talk about, a thing they're going to teach their students because it is, it is important. It is a critical thinking. Do they think that they should not be taught it or that they're correct? Or that it's biased. Well, I mean, it's in the same history, breath, though. You have to wait five years. Well, no, but I mean, like, you should be talking about current events, especially because, because I mean, like, my mom um, was in school the day that Kennedy was shot. And that was a thing, like, they, right. no. they were told that and they were sent home early. You know, but I mean, but it wasn't like... No, my like, sister believes it should be taught. Yeah. It's the oh, parents no, 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 who are being a little crazy. Oh. I'm talking about the parents who were, like, wanting to sweep it under the rug. Like, that's not healthy. I didn't even get sent home right. early at 11. No, I didn't. I got picked up early, there. but I was also in New York suburbs, yeah. so. No, I mean, yeah, your your situation was much, much different. Well, I was in Topeka, so. I know the big concern. I live in the Atlanta suburbs, and I know the big concern for us here was the CDC. But, I mean, even if anything had happened to the CDC, I mean, what would any of us done for biological warfare here? You know what I mean? Like, I was... I mean, like my, I, I, I was left at school because like, my mom's thought process was like, you know, you're safer at school than, you know, if we get you out and everything else, you know, so like I stayed in, but I remember my class just evaporated that day. Like left and right folks were leaving. In Texas, we definitely, 
I don't know if anyone actually like went home, but I know we were trying to like watch it on TV, like try to get information like throughout the day. Oh, we absolutely were in Kansas. We were, we, they gave us like, you know, the extras of the newspaper that came out that afternoon. Everyone tried to have TV and radio on, you know, believing every random little thing that came See, out of the news. My situation was different. Like our school was, it was mandatory that TV stayed off for the rest of the day after that happened. My school, we didn't have TVs, but also like some of the, te- the teach like suddenly throughout the day, kids were leaving and being picked up we had there was no explanation like i was at a catholic school and one ki- um i remember my science teacher like would begin class of prayer and she says like something like let's pray for all the uh for all those her- impacted by horrific tragedies or something and like a week prior it was um we all sort of interpreted it to be related to these a group of girls being harassed in Northern Ireland going to a Catholic school. And so we thought it was like related to that. And then, uh, but we had no TVs or anything. And I was picked up by a family friend whose son was one of my childhood best friends. And I was told my mom, mom needs to speak to me about something. So I thought like this is temporary, but I was told to like, get my stuff for the day. I'm walking down the hill from my school and my friend tells me, oh yeah, so you know the Twin Towers? Yeah. Yeah, they're gone. Just like that. Yeah, basically. Imagine today just like, you know, telling a kid who can't look at Twitter for whatever reason, good luck with that, and just pulling him aside an hour later and saying, hey, you know, Congress, uh, guess what they invaded. That's phrased in a much better way than it was, because that sounds like Congress invaded us. And I would love to see that. Funny story about that. So my boyfriend was sick that day um, and he had been up the night before not feeling well. So he had fallen asleep to take a nap at noon and didn't wake up until six o'clock when I got home. So he slept through it? So he slept through it and I got home and he's like, well, did you have a productive day? And I was like, nope. So like, well, well, why not? I'm like, well, let me tell you what happened when you were napping. <laughs> so Everyone look at the tweet I just sent in the chat. Remember, we are using an audio medium. Giuliani is at the White House at Caitlin Collins. Yes. Huh. So. Oh, what does this mean? I really hope like, the White House has like a good inventory of all the stuff that's supposed to stay there and not supposed to be taken by an outgoing president. Honestly, to me at this point, it feels like, you know, when you have like a really bad breakup and like, you're just trying to get your stuff and get out. Like at this point, you know, like I don't care if they take a couple like, you know, candlesticks or things they shouldn't take. Just get out. Just go. Like, well, isn't <laughs> well, the rumor a episode about America breaking up with Trump in a couple of months now? Didn't uh, like the Clinton people take all the W keys off of uh, the keyboards? I've heard. Yes, that. that's the rumor. At least as it got. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've definitely heard that rumor, but I've never seen anything to completely substantiate it. I just, yeah, I just did a Google search of that story from the LA Times. Clinton transition left fifteen thousand dollars damage, uh, and yeah, they defaced bathrooms, vandalized keyboards by removing the W keys. And the person who announced all this was Representative Bob Barr. 
insert Georgia joke. No, I guess fail. I mean, Bob Barr is his own joke. That's the that that's the punchline there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Rudy Giuliani, even though they know he's here, do you think he's just going to try to hide in a bathroom for the next couple of weeks? Just pop out and insist to Joe Biden that he works for him. I don't know, but I can't wait to see the Kate McKinnon piece on it. Yeah. Also, there's going to be something very interesting to see what happens with Giuliani getting paid because the $20,000 a day, if you think about it, because he's probably being paid about $1,500 an hour, that's the standard going rate, probably actually works out. But Trump is saying that like he won't pay that. And so it comes to that breach of contract. And if he, you can't represent a presidential candidate for free, you have to do standard market rates or else it's an illegal in kind contribution. So, and they just got quorum on the FEC. Representing the president, not a candidate? Uh, It was for campaign purposes. So, sure. Yeah, because it was trying to overturn the election, you know, and all this fraud that was happening. Yeah, which of course did not happen. Somebody also, like, find a bunch of I don't know, 13 and a third billable hours a day for this guy for all of that time. Also, I've just learned that I am undercharging. God, I mean, I, I knew working for a nonprofit, I wasn't going to make as much as most attorneys, but damn. Clearly, I could right. just... Yeah, but like Giuliani, I work for criminals. Um, I'm looking to see if there's any hair dye running down your head now. No. Oh. No, it's, it's quarantine. We don't get our hair dyed. Yeah. You do it yourself. I need, to I need to bleach my roots again so I can redo my blue dye. So I have a full on ombre. I do like your blue. When we I have a full on ombre, which is, I mean, it's kind of worked out. I initially would not have gone for this hairstyle, but, you know, I don't hate it. So uh, thanks, COVID. I guess that's the one thing you gave me. <laughs> Good hair. You know, COVID has taught everyone a little bit about themselves. I learned that I like baking bread. Me too. Actually, I was doing that before before COVID. I wasn't. I mean, technically, COVID is also literally why we started a podcast. But let's face it. I mean, about... Started a podcast, started a pack. Oh, yeah. God, we did start a pack. <laughs> yeah. Is that different from the dog pack? It you know, is dog is? pack. Yeah. Oh. Which actually owns the podcast. Yeah, technically. We transferred, uh, yeah. We transfer the intellectual property of dog pack. Like you guys have been doing the most in quarantine, like <laughs> bread, podcasts, packs, like meanwhile over here, like I've watched you know, all the like three different We saved democracy, so that, right. yeah, no, that, that that's fair. Like I've just been <laughs> I've just been working more than I think I've ever worked. <laughs> yeah. The problem is that, you know, we with both me and Seamus, when we have weird ideas, we like to run with them. Um, and so when we joked about the same weird idea together, of course, some like snowball of pure insanity had to happen. And that's why we have a podcast with an alliterative name. Like the podcast idea was Ben. And basically I said, I'll, if you actually want me to do this, I will do it. Because let's do this. Yeah, basically, the one thing is never dare me do anything. And then I said to Ben and uh, best friend of the pod, Hannah Robleski, we should start a pack after the whole manhole joke. They said, yes. I'm like, are you sure? They said, yeah. And I do the whole filing, which is way too easy. Just saying. 
starting a pack is literally it's too easy to do i feel like in most scenarios like if you have an idea and you tell seamus like it will immediately have legs yeah which is why i'm trying to get the resolution the official resolution that anyone who's on the ground in georgia never has to buy a drink again at yda oh no no no, we're doing that exactly that's a good resolution that's just something i'm gonna do Yeah, Ben, you have to take it. Since that was your idea, you have to take the lead on that one. It was not my idea. It was never my idea. I'm just in support of it. Yeah, no, no, he's talking to me. Oh, okay. I thought you intend to keep the promise. Yeah. I'm a little worried about how many Georgians are going to show up, you know, the next time we're all together now, because I mean, I make decent money, but come on, people. Uh, I I think you're fine as long as you don't. We create a fund out of the pack. Exactly. I thought that was the plan. I was just. I, I think it's affordable as long as you don't do it in Cincinnati. If that ends up being a thing. Probably, yeah. Hmm. You know, I was just thinking, like, oh, I'll get some of the Georgia people that you know I, I know I'm going to see. Why you know, get, like Becky and Annie and Justin, and just like buy them all around. But then, oh wait, what if? Uh, this is fine. I've I've made my bet. I will lay in it. But otherwise, without a pack, I mean, a resolution is kind of toothless. It's just a resolution. Not like we can, we can add a whereas clause or a to be resolved clause that these will be paid out of a specialized fund crate by a dog pack. Boom. James is also very good at the resolutions. So, yeah. <laughs> no, like there are several resolutions I didn't even co op that I didn't even sign on as a signatory that I helped write because people just realize I'm good at writing them. Certain talent I've learned from YDA. It really brings out the, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the best or the worst in us. I do really think like there needs to be like a resolution, like here's how to write a resolution, like information session that needs to be done. Because apparently any resolution I've tried to write, I've been told that's not a resolution. Basically you just come up with a statement of clause of reasons why. Um, basically it's like an, basically the legal version of like uh doing a proof back in like geometry class yeah they've never accept this is bad as a good enough reason mm-hmm. which is a damn shame because that's basically i mean resolution i've tried to put is like this is terrible it's like no that's not a resolution i mean that's just sort of the tautology though right a equals a mm-hmm. yeah yeah which can be a step in a proof well, no, what this come from was that, like, um, for my very first YDA event ever, the conven- the 2017 convention in Dallas, when Charlottesville happened on the last day, I was trying to help get, like, an emergency resolution to get. There were two, apparently two groups doing that, and my group didn't get up for it, but that was okay, because as long as one happened, I was happy with that. But my first attempt was just more of, like, a statement of condemnation, and I was told that's not a resolution. And then someone who knew a whole lot more about it took it over and started making things happen. So that was awesome. So and go change it. Okay. So we were talking about message boards earlier and I was talking to my girlfriend about uh, the issues with the, the purge. And they said about how you can't really do insider trading. I figured out the exact way to do it. So you have to be on the board of a foreign company, actually, no, a Russian company that change uh, is on the Moscow stock exchange during the 12 hours that it happens, you have to then uh, have them tell you some non-public information. That's when you either buy or sell your stocks because there's no extradition treaty. So therefore, 
you can get get yourself rich without ever getting arrested on insider trading. That feels needlessly complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna keep following the law. That sounds like a lot of work. I'm just talking about this happens during the purge. Oh. Yeah, my girlfriend and I started talking Are we going to talk about the impeachment at all? God, yeah, I we should talk about that. Yeah. Has so, anyone done a whip count yet? Of the impeachment? Uh, oh, for the Senate? I mean, yeah. no, I would really have to assume it's going to be entirely party lines. I know there are a few Republicans that have said some things, but I don't know. My faith in them only extends so far. I agree. Um, I you know, I, I, I think it's ironic considering how vilified Ossoff was by the right, especially like way, way back in 17. And now with the way that swearing in is going to go and everything else, like he most likely is going to deliver a vote on that topic, which is just totally wild that we live in this time frame and scenario. <laughs> more, more vilified than Warnock, you know, the radical liberal. Oh, no, I'm, I'm talking oh. about from a timeline perspective. Because, oh, oh. No, Warnock was definitely more vilified, but um, you know, I'm I'm just saying simply from the fact that you know, the first time of the race, like that that race against Karen Handel was the first major race post Trump winning. You know, so that was just it's just interesting to me that that's like a thing. <laughs> like for at this point in history, now it's like I, I I'm still trying to wrap my brain around a lot of these things. It's a lot to wrap your brain around um, the really the last four years. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's only so much of substance that will actually happen if the Senate votes to convict, especially because there are so many other charges that are going to be filed against him that aren't necessarily related to his presidency. And, you know, we're all watching to see what mischief Tish James can get up to in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I think there's just that necessity of showing that there are consequences because we're never going to get a president quite like Donald Trump again, who is that level of, I'm not going to say charismatic, but as good at that populist brand of pandering that he was. Knock on wood, knock on wood, never say There are going to be different kinds of evil. There are going to be people that learn from Donald Trump and still act in many ways the way he does, Mm -hmm. but they're going to be more tactful about it and less publicly arrogant, which was really, in a lot of ways, his downfall. And there needs to be some, you know, granted behavior in the Senate is more unofficial precedent, um, but there needs to be some signal to them that there really are consequences that can be taken if they emulate any sort of this behavior too strongly um because as it is even with his reputation in tatters even with whatever is going to happen with the destruction of his businesses after this because you have to know what money he might have actually had coming in is going to start drying up so rapidly he's going to be able to say i did all this in the white house and didn't get more than a knock to my ego for it it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Republican Party with the sort of forthcoming uh, civil war they're going to have between the populace and the establishment. Because basically all the populists are saying that, OK, now you have to primary the ones who voted against the or voted for the impeachment, which, yeah. oh, that's just going to be fun to watch. Like I mean, it is more. 
I think an angrier version of the conflict that we had over DNC chair in 2017, you know, because that was really framed as the progressives, the sort of the Bernie wing of the party versus the establishment. And, you know, it was very much met in the middle, which is fine. But theirs is so much louder and angrier, which is impressive to say which, when I think about how some of I, our... When I read some of their tweets, I just think to myself, why are you so angry? Like, do you need a hug? Well, right, I don't have a lot of anger that I could access if I so wanted to. I mean, are you volunteering to hug Republicans? Because I am not. No, that's how you get COVID. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not not volunteering. It's one of those things where also I'm because I would do it if it was reciprocated and I wouldn't be charged with them like saying like bad touch or something because they are evil enough sometimes. It was interesting to watch the floor speeches and I actually um, ha I actually had a meeting from one to three so I missed a lot of it that day but then I went back and watched some of them um, and it is a little like I have actually decided that for the next basically however long he lives, whenever I want to know what the Republicans are doing, I'm just going to look and see what Matt Gates is saying the Democrats are doing. Yeah. No, that, that's a solid bellwether. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like a textbook case of projection. Also, I noticed something during that day. Jim Jordan, like when he does wear, I think he only owns one, one suit or actually only one tie, I should say. He always wears a blue shirt with a a gold tie. I mean, it is easier if you have a uniform. But you would think that you change it up. Like, we know he doesn't wear the blazer, like, unless he has to, or like he's on the house floor, but... I have a friend who is a graphic designer who spent the afternoon of the impeachment live-tweeting <clears throat> live all of the bad suits that the Republicans were wearing and commenting on them from a design perspective. <laughs> That's awesome. Solid. Oh, so because we were talking about impeachment. Is, does anyone know what the impeachment articles that Marjorie Taylor Greene, oh, the, what the clauses say in the well, resolution? She hasn't made any of that public. She thinks she's being clever and she thinks she's being intimidating by saying, well, I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to my little deity, Donald Trump. I mean... I also I just kind of want to read it. For the impeachment of Trump, like from the very beginning, and it took a couple of years before that happened. Well, people wanted to see Trump impeached, but it was very much along the lines of we don't like him, we just want him gone, which unfortunately is not grounds to file impeachment. You know, because it's like in, oh, in Kansas, it so is an impeachable offense is anything that a majority of the of the members of the House think it is. Trivia question: Who who said that line? That feels like a Ken Starr thing. No, anyone. Gerald Ford. Ooh. Who prevented Apostle? <laughs> did he say it while he was in the legislature or did he say it when he was vice president or president? I honestly don't know. I want to say he was from when he was House Minority Leader, but I'm not positive. Uh, many things that could be thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, just impeachment is something that can go very, very wrong for the people filing it. I mean, like anything in politics, there's a little bit of a tightrope you have to walk in order for people to take it seriously. And as much as we wanted him gone earlier, that just wasn't going to be the tool that 
existed to do it in in Kansas. I mean, we had Sam Brown back as our governor for so long, and there were people like from the starts trying to talk about impeach. Well, we should impeach him. We don't have the numbers for that. Well, then you know clearly he's doing all this bad stuff publicly, and he really did get off to a bad foot. They're like, hey, let's start a recall election. And making all of these pissy little arguments to those of us pointing out that the way that procedures for that work in Kansas, we couldn't just start a petition and get them on the ballot. Um, and they never truly understood this. You know, eventually you'd have to point out that, hey, in our state, our secretary of state has to look at it and say, yes, this is valid. You've alleged that they've done something wrong. And that would have sent him in the direction of Chris Kobach which if you don't know how much of a supervillain he is, count yourself lucky. Um, but it just, it makes me think of that. That also know, reminds I, me about like kind of a lot of folks at a lot of the marches that I've been to in the last four years who were the ones who were here ha who were like, and like, get rid of Trump Pence now, today. And I'd be like, yeah, we need to get rid of them. Like next election vote. And they're like, no, 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 today. And I was like, no, no, that's not how it works. Like we could have stopped this but a bunch of you didn't want to vote because you thought you were protesting something. Exactly. Mm -hmm. like, or you fell for ads on social media. Honestly. I mean, though, I do get kind of some of the desperation. I mean, I definitely did do like a post-election day um, donation to Jill Stein. <laughs> oh, why? Because it may be. So she could do the recount. Right? Because you yeah, actually hate all wireless internet and radio signals. I like I'm you know it's like it was for the recount. I wanted that and yeah. You have to know if it's coming from Jill Stein, it's not real. I, she thinks that Wi-Fi causes cancer. Some of this stuff. She thought Brexit was a good idea, and then she retracted that statement. Oh Melissa. So, come on. Bringing it back around to recounts for this time, because again, I live in Wisconsin. Um, I did think it was interesting. I, I think it was the day after the election that Scott Walker tweeted that Trump sh basically shouldn't do a recount in Wisconsin um, because it was just too many votes to overcome. And like, it, it is difficult to, for me to overstate how much that was a rats leaving sinking shit moment, like in this state. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Also, like, I just, I, I still find it funny, the fact that, like, it, I, I never thought I would get bored of winning. But then it's like, <laughs> Trump won, I'm not, not Trump, like, Biden still wins Georgia. It's like, hooray. <laughs> we'll wake up with the news, oh, Biden won the state again, whatever. It felt, it felt like Groundhog Day. I felt like Bill Murray for, like, a solid month. Like, I mean, it was just. Hey, didn't Donald but, say we were going to get tired of all the winning? Yeah, he, I know. he delivered, man, he delivered. <laughs> but I'm still waiting on that wall. Although playing the long game. In Wisconsin, things were a little bit more tense here because our court is so insane. So we had just like election decision after election decision after election decision that were three four. And um we actually have a four three conservative majority with our swing vote. Being a guy who is like, I mean the truly conservative in the sense that none of us on this call would like, but he's just kind of been in this like, okay, but this is crazy kind of posture. Um, but like we had three justices who were sort of like, 
yes, we believe that ballot drop, bo- drop boxes are bad and foments fraud. Like, yes, we believe it is fine to challenge the you know guidance of the Wisconsin Election Commission after the election. I mean, it was just it's been a little like nerve wracking here in a way that I feel like it maybe hasn't been in other places where courts are not just completely insane. Yeah, well, they had the thing in Texas of whether the Houston, uh, whether the Houston drop off situation was legal after mm-hmm. like so many right. voted. I keep an eye on Texas after living, having lived there for so long. <laughs> but, you know, but if Trump is playing the long game, you know, so when is when's he going to get Mexico to pay for the wall, Ben? I think he's going to head down there. He's going to have a whole lot of free time after Wednesday. And he's going to use yeah. that free time towards the wall building, which is his obviously his passion project. And mm-hmm. he can really devote himself to that. Sort of the same way that Jimmy Carter builds houses. I mean, gotcha. you're just going to see. Is he also going to de- uh, declassify Area 51? I think he was supposed to do that. You know, he told us that. And if he had, a lot would have been forgiven. But God damn it. Um, I thought I saw in the news that there's like kind of like what one month for that to happen. It's more than a month. I know what you're talking about. Um, there is some order for them to start releasing some kind of information. It's it's like they've got until sometime later this year. Um, but yeah, no, he's going to go down there and he is going to uh, just you know start hitting up everyone he can see in Mexico. I have a friend in Guanajuato that owns a coffee shop, and I'm going to call her up and be like, hey, Nancy, Donald's going to come your way asking about the wall. just want you to know about this, because really, she probably won't go for it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's just going to be what he does with his spare time. Uh, I think there's going to be like a bake sale at some point. He might get people to help him sell lotions to try to pay for it. Why lotion? Yeah, he's going to go all full no. muscle the marketing. But why lotion? What the fuck do you think they sell with those scams? I, I did just look it up because it felt relevant to this discussion. Uh, Mexico apparently does not extradite to the United States unless the United States can guarantee that the person won't face the death penalty. So, I mean, for you know, Mexico seems like a reasonable place to go. I'm, w- I'm willing to go along with that. I'm happy for him to rot in jail. I would think it would be really funny if, you know, he just went to Tijuana and went on a fucking tequila bender for the rest of his life. Because I know people would find him, take pictures of him looking sad, drunk in a gutter. And I would get a lot of perverse amusement out of that. Because uh, I cannot stress this enough, I'm a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I think we've hit a good ending point. (laughs) I think. What have we learned? Ben's a bad person. (laughs) Yes. I honestly feel like that's how you should end every podcast is just saying you honestly cannot stress enough that you're a bad person. Maybe that's one of the ways that we've been telling everyone to stay safe at the end of episodes. Maybe this is just what we sting that with. I, I don't know. We can we can test that out. No, that's going to be in our new segment. Like one Ben says, like, or actually, no, that's going to be like um, Pee Wee Herman, like the magic word, secret word. So, But when Ben says, I can't stress this enough, I'm a bad person, that's when we end. Sure, that could be my signal that you know we need to go and do something. All right, actually productive with our lives. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for jumping on. And nice to meet. Thanks for having me. Thanks Uh, for jumping on, Emily, Melissa, Becky. Thanks for coming back, even though you knew what you were getting yourselves into. And Emily, (laughs) we're we're sorry. No, we're not. It's been great. This has been really fun.
I hope you'll have me back again at some point. Uh, Kooky Quarantine is a production of Dog Pack, uh, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Uh, all donations, you know, uh, must be done by under accordance of federal law. Uh, dog Pack, uh, the dogpack.com. Uh, our theme music is produced by Alexander Nakamura. I've been Seamus Gamble. I've been a terrible person. <laughs> also our known as Ben Cohen. Indeed. Our guests today have been Emily Bell, Becky Beaver, and Melissa Shapiro. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.